0: Tech episodes of this podcast are now supported by Furos.io. That is F U R O S.io. Furos is a Denver cloud consulting firm. And chances are, if there's a big building in downtown Denver with their logo on the outside of it, Furos has got people in there doing some very interesting work that has an impact on those businesses. They focus on AWS cloud consulting and mantra is simple hire the best people they can, pay them really well, and let them work on challenging, interesting projects that have impacts on the business. So, if you are struggling with the cloud, and I know that's a really overused word in the tech space, and projects aren't getting done and you need some help, look them up furos.io. That is F U R O S.io. I like, go. Oh.
1: What are your qualifications? Ah,
0: well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively.
1: I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you?
0: I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. <sighs> Oh, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm sitting here with my longtime friend Scott Hogue. He's the CTO of Hexabuild. He's a fellow podcaster. Uh, we're talking about the small world of tech and cycling. And thank you for the, the bike MS donation. That's why we're here. But I would have done this regardless. So Scott, welcome and thank you.
1: Oh, thank you, Matt. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be here on your on your podcast. Yeah, we share a common interest in cycling. We also share a common interest in kind of raising money for charities through yeah. cycling. And We've done Courage Classic to raise money for uh, Children's Hospital of Colorado. Uh, you're raising money for uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, so absolutely happy to do that.
0: Yeah, thank you. And the the shout outs to our uh, common connections were Megan Hotman, the cyclist lawyer, uh, Dan and Kelly Cooper from Flippin' Flapjacks, and then... Uh, if you're listening to this, you'll have to look at the the photo from Mark Walcott, a mutual friend, and this will go under the premature
1: celebration <laughs> <laughs> from a bike race. This photo, it's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, Megan Hotman, her company, The Cyclist Lawyer, they sponsored a bike to work day aid station uh, recently, and they gave out uh, three feet to pass uh, yep. cookies to let people know about, you know, three feet to pass. Although the cookies were eaten by cyclists, not drivers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's great to, you know, have organizations like hers helping to support cyclists and, uh, and organizations like Bicycle Colorado, helping cyclists stay safe, you know, on the roads out here and, and allow, you know, drivers and cyclists to, to share the road. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew
0: it's a cyclist, but you know, you, you, this race photo how long did
1: you race and like what like uh, what category did you end up
0: and yeah like, what was your i've, favorite I've
1: raced for a lot of years uh and i haven't i haven't been racing lately i have kind of maybe outgrown it a little bit or <laughs> gotten a little older i raced in my you know, 20s for a team up in boulder which uh, the Morgul bismarck team oh yeah way back when and you know then, randy gaffney oh yeah yeah <laughs> randy and i are good friends we've gone on a lot of bike rides together so great guy yeah nice uh fun fun to be around i really like randy um yeah absolutely and then raced in uh the 2000s here for twin peaks racing for a number of years so yeah i I love love riding and love riding quickly (laughs) (laughs) yeah if i can (laughs) excuse
0: me yeah i noticed that when we did the courage classic you know before we started recording it's like i saw you at the start you went up Fremont Pass like a rocket and disappeared like three or four turns away and then I saw it at the finish line. So <laughs> I can personally tent, yes. attest that you do
1: ride fast, especially uphill. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I just love being out, outdoors. In Colorado, it's, it's the best. <laughs> what was your favorite racing style? Did you like the distance or the crits? Or did you have a... Uh, yes, I liked crits with a hill. Ah. A crit with a circuit with a hard hill in it So I could get back up to speed with the other sprinters and then have an okay sprint at the end. Crits with a hill. I know that sounds weird. That's my thing.
0: (laughs) Uh, Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What was the last race you did? Do you remember? Oh, maybe, um, yeah, some different races in in 2013, I think was my last year racing. So I haven't raced since then. Yeah. Still been riding for fun. Yeah, my last Like road race. I may have done
0: the Bannock Criterium, and that could have been five or six years ago.
1: Bannock Criterium was always uh, sketchy. It was always dramatic, and there was always plenty of places (laughs) to have incidents. Uh, Oh, Denver potholes and Denver streets. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Quick. Same thing like City Park always dramatic, always eventful. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I don't think I've told this story on an episode, but my first bike race, I did a citizens race in Parker, and it was the Main Street Criterium, Hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I thought I was pretty hot stuff because I had finished third in the citizens division, and Mm -hmm. it was like 12 guys in a field and Mm -hmm. 15. One guy was wearing sweatpants. One guy had on, like I think, a styrofoam cooler for a helmet, and so I thought I was... (laughs) I came in third. I still have the little plexiglass trophy so i thought it was pretty hot stuff next year joined a team did that same mm-hmm. race and i got my doors blown off like mm-hmm. i got pulled out after three laps and as
1: long like, as you beat wow. the guy with the primal uh pink floyd dark side of the moon jersey you're good They <laughs> call that a win <laughs> oh man uh, no kidding <laughs> or beat somebody right <laughs> beat somebody yeah yep yeah yeah, we talked about, you know, if you've been a long time running or cycling uh, participant in Colorado, you can't help but encounter the Flippin' Flapjacks folks, Yeah, see them in many of the local races, really appreciate their support, and you've had them as a guest on your show, it was great to hear, hear that episode, and so, yeah, I'm looking I forward to eating some more of their pancakes here this year. <laughs>
0: I still remember that episode, because we were in Dan and Kelly's kitchen, and um, the dog just comes over and just start snacking. <laughs> it was like, all right. I think it was this, I think it was Sadie at that point, just uh-huh. dogs just munching. And it's like, that's what I love about doing these things is that it's in effect live and it just, you got to roll with it. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. So tech, yeah, we worked together guys that's five years ago, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And oh, wow. uh, just, just enjoyed working with you and you know, like on the, the pre-sales side, it was fun yeah. just going in and talking to, potential customers and clients and just basically having conversations. You know, that was, that was always fun to go out with you on those.
1: Yeah. I liked, I liked that. I liked your, uh, your podcast you did with uh, Aaron Bach, uh, VP of software development at four winds interactive about how vendors typically engage with customers (laughs) and how, how customers can be turned off by certain approaches and how, really developing a relationship, but a relationship that isn't fake. That's really based on real value proposition and and what you can offer them. But in a, in a nice and professional way, I I really, I really like that style. I really like your style and I really loved going on (laughs) sales calls with you and, (laughs) and meeting with customers and helping to give them the right solution they need at the right time. You know, that's what it's all about.
0: Right. And not selling them whatever you have in your bag or whatever's, you know, in, you know, the, to make the quota or whatever because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i equate it to like if i'm selling pizzas and it's breakfast for you and you don't want a pizza I'm like what's it going to take to get you into this pizza today like you know i'm just ramming
1: it down it just doesn't work day old cold thin crust i'd go for that <laughs> <laughs> but you got to be in the mood i got to right? be yeah <laughs> <laughs> You can sell me a pizza for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty easy.
0: <laughs> I think at the end of the day, like if I had to choose between making the sale or having the the customer or client's respect, I'd rather have the respect. If mm-hmm. it was a coin flip between the two. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Just because I'd, I'd rather have that develop into a relationship. And Aaron's a perfect example of that. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that you found that one kind of at all the episodes because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I met him at sea level at Mile High and the episode and the relationship started by kind of a mutual um, dislike for like the <laughs> the pushy vendors, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to be on a panel together, and like we share Netflix recommendations. He's, he's mm-hmm. it's, we've built a friendship, and like that's great. Mm-hmm. And so I just I like doing that and just mm-hmm. kind of being
1: like earning his respect in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to do you want to do business with with friends and people you like as people but you know it when it comes to business there ultimately has to be you know s- some real tangible reason to to work together and, yeah. and if that works out and business transacts that's even better right but it ha- can't be the basis for yeah. <laughs> what's happening there yeah, yeah. and i I look at some people and I
0: know them in this marketplace and and not just in tech but across multiple industries multiple products where mm-hmm. they are from the outside a successful salesperson or account executive whatever you want to call it but mm-hmm. I just couldn't do business like that it's just not my style mm-hmm. just and, and it's fine right everybody's mm-hmm. different and things get done differently but just I I like at the end of the day <clears throat> excuse me just kind of being who I am and liking that, mm-hmm. but
1: absolutely, I think that's that's the right approach. If I was a customer, that's the one I would uh, I would gravitate towards. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and not to say that I don't use some psychological tactics or some things to advance or trial close and things like that, mm-hmm. but in in general, it's a legitimate curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then, like, look, mm-hmm. let's not waste our time. Just mm-hmm. shoot me straight. I'll tell you if this is going to work. And you tell me if you think you need it. And then Mm -hmm. let's sort of build it out from there. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, like, I'm not going to try to, (laughs) you know, do the Ben
1: Franklin trial close. Yes, yes, yes. You know, whatever. (laughs) Or whatever that that method is, right? (laughs) Oh, all the methods. Uh, Is it spin selling? Is it challenger sale? Is it read all these books, use all these techniques? It's kind of fun. How about
0: we just have a conversation and be honest with each other? Yeah. Let's try that
1: novel (laughs) (laughs) Totally not ready for that. (laughs) In tech, that requires human interaction, and some people don't like human (laughs) (laughs) interaction. Yeah. You're you're one of the good ones that can have a conversation
0: and just, I think, that great blend of uh, immense knowledge, but also personality and Mm -hmm. just like an enjoyable experience. Right. So just, Hey, talk to Scott, you know, he'll,
1: he'll figure it out for you <laughs> and, and your head won't explode. <laughs> yeah. But you start with the business value proposition. You start with, you know, why would the technology enable your business? Why would it help your customers? Why would it help your conversion rate of your retail site? How would it help you do more business or do better business or service your customers or, Let's say it's a municipality how, or a state. How would it help you service your citizens or your, you know, c- citizens better? How would it help you distribute, you know, content and your message better? How would it support your your mobile app? How would it support, you know, your, your websites that you want to be, you know, broadly internet reachable, those kinds of things. You know, how would it help your business? That's a good, always a good place to start. And then the technology can fall out from there. But people don't buy the technology in and of itself. That's not the ends to a means. It it's it's got to be. You know, you start with the start with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey said. You know, you start with first things first. You know, and you work your way down to those details about technology yeah. decisions or you're configuration the, commands. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're selling the hammer, but it's not. You're selling the hammer. It's because mm-hmm. you want to hang your your awesome mm-hmm. cycling photos from the fifties, right? Mm-hmm have that experience, you know, Mm -hmm. build the shelf for your, your wife or whatever it is, but that's the ends Mm -hmm. to the means. Not like, you know, Hey, how many hammers can I put you down for?
1: Yeah. People don't go out and buy physical servers or virtual cloud instances just for the heck of it. It's (laughs) it's related to (laughs) an application that's driving some, you know, business need, you know, some business analytics, you know, need or, or what have you, or just transacting more business or faster business for them. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and it comes from I think at a very high level, like listening and being curious and going in. So you talk about the business case, right? Mm -hmm. And it could be multiple technological applications that fall out of that. Mm -hmm. But unless it serves that higher level, which Mm -hmm. is sort of nebulous and undefined Mm -hmm. and taking a, um, a salesperson or a consultant to actually come in and like, what is going on here? What, Mm -hmm. what do you need? Mm -hmm. Not what do I have? What do you need? Mm -hmm that's where it really works
1: yeah in your business you know just lifting and shifting to the cloud isn't transformational and isn't necessarily a cost savings and doesn't give them better performance but maybe if you can do things in a in a cloud native way oh now there's cost savings now there's performance improvements now there's scalability that we didn't have before now there's survivability uh, high availability that was difficult to achieve with an on-premises solution uh, or or when does it make sense to shift it back in right. in-house you know uh, so you have those types of conversations with the customer you know uh, how could they leverage the right platform in the right place at the right price point to achieve the best results for their customers yeah that's how the conversation starts. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And I also like to take it one step further and tell them what's not going to work and what they don't need. Mm-hmm. And I've actually got a lot of business that way by saying, we're not a good fit. I know somebody that is, but we're not. And yeah. rather than trying to jam
1: that peg into that
0: hole, mm-hmm.
1: you know, so. And you've helped them even if you refer them to the right expert. And being in this industry for a long time, you have a lot of connections and you know how to how to integrate or how to pull the right people together to, to help the customer. And and I think even if you just left it at that, the customer would have a good impression of you and, and want to engage and talk to you in the future Mm -hmm. when something does arise.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I like getting to the point where I've got somebody's personal email or their cell phone and Mm -hmm. just, and just texting them interesting things about Mm -hmm. just building that relationship, Mm -hmm. but you know, just being legitimate about it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, um, probably a good way to segment, or a good time to segue to HexaBuild. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that because you've talked to me a couple times about it, and I think I'm almost quite grasping it. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, yeah, HexaBuild is an IPv6 consulting and training company. So, professional services around Internet Protocol Version Six, which is a next generation Internet Protocol. And we we don't see as users of the Internet, the protocol that's being used behind the scenes to allow us to go to a Web page. But there's a protocol that sits behind there and a protocol just like anything. It's it's a handshake of how you communicate, how two computers talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And that protocol is like how we engage on a on a phone call. Right. How. um, Hello. Who are you? Hello. You know, and you negotiate a connection and that's what's going on behind the scenes ipv4 ip version 4 which is the current version that's used on the internet uh has smaller addresses you can think of it as like seven digit dialing on a okay. telephone its addresses were smaller so you had fewer phones we have so many things on the internet now so we we need to go to 10 digit dialing mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe i'm dating myself remembering when that transition occurred <laughs> many younger people are like what i use a phone as a phone no i never <laughs> call people on the phone uh and so um, IPv6 is this next generation internet protocol. And kind of like airline pilots, you know, their, their measure of success is to never appear in the news. Right. <laughs> Network <laughs> engineers also never want to appear in the news. And so what they do is very much behind the, the curtain, behind the scenes. And so IPv6 is actually used. This worldwide transition between IPv4 to IPv6 has been happening behind the scenes, unbeknownst to many people. A lot of hard work has gone into this for several decades. Uh, But now IPv6 is used by, you know, broadband internet service providers here in Colorado. If you have Comcast, you probably have IPv6 at your house. You didn't know it. If you've got an upgraded, you know, Doxis modem, upgraded router, like maybe you upgraded to a better wireless LAN for your house using 802.11ac, you probably have IPv6 and you may not notice it. It just happens kind of behind the scenes. If you've got a mobile device from any of the major U.S. carriers, T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, Verizon, you probably have IPv6. In fact, T-Mobile, 95% of their mobile subscribers have IPv6. So you're probably walking around with a mobile device in your, your pocket, your purse, your backpack, and it already uses IPv6 and you don't even know it. Now, embedded inside of the operating system that runs inside of your laptop or your mobile device are algorithms and 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 methods to determine which connection is made over v4 or v6. And so it automatically knows if you're on a wireless network or a 4G network mm. that's that uses v4 or v6 and uses the right one in all cases. So kind of all this happens behind the scenes and it's kind of nice. So we've seen a increase because of these algorithms, because of all this work that's and this groundwork that's been done by IT uh, folks uh, service providers, Internet Engineering Task Force, uh, the Internet Assigned Number Authority, the regional internet registries. This trans- transformation is happening kind of behind the scenes. And so now, you know, in the United States, we're close to about 50% IPv6 utilization. Of course, it depends on where you measure. Certain countries have a really high percentage of IPv6. Uh, India, maybe six over 60%. So those countries who are more aggressive about innovation and internet innovation have a higher use of IPv6. So the United States, pretty competitive in a global marketplace there. Uh, But people have IPv6 maybe at their homes or in their pockets, but not in the office. Mm. Or maybe a company is deploying cloud servers or services or a mobile app that don't take advantage of this. And recently, there have been uh, studies shown that show that IPv6 is faster than IPv4. I can go into kind of the nitty-gritty, nerdy details about IPv4 and network address translation slowing down connections. IPv6 doesn't use any of that, so it's much faster. So really, you would, and built into the algorithms in the operating system, it chooses the faster one, chooses the one that's better, and sometimes has a preference towards IPv6. So if you're if you've got a company that's building a mobile app, or you're or you're doing things on the web, or you're selling things on the web, or you're communi- and who doesn't communicate with customers, partners, suppliers, vendors, everybody on the internet? You want to be able to be reachable by the broadest internet population as fast as possible. But then, two, if you're a business and you provide internet access to your employees, your end users, you want them, and they're probably going out to the internet and accessing internet applications or public cloud infrastructure applications to get their work done you would want them to have the best end user experience and you should provide them ipv4 and ipv6 so that's kind of where hexabuild is coming from is uh, we want to enable businesses we want to enable them to take advantage of these benefits of plentiful supply of global addresses and 10-digit dialing on the internet to connect all the things to the internet of things uh, the broad internet reachability that affords a business, but then also the speed and performance. Mm. So, yeah, and I think, uh, so if anybody's interested in those things, that's what, that's what HexBuild enables businesses to do.
0: <laughs> what is your podcast? Because for those details, I, I know for a fact that there's hopefully some people that are listening that would really like to get granular into mm-hmm. that. What is, what is your podcast?
1: Yeah, we have a podcast called the IPv6 Buzz podcast. Okay. It's just IPv6 Buzz. Um, You can search for just IPv6, just like it sounds, IPv6buzz, like a B, podcast uh, on packetpushers.net. You can just type in IPv6buzz on any of your favorite podcast apps or go to packetpushers.net and look for ipv 6 buzz in the list of podcasts they offer. Sure. Yeah. Um, So Hexabuild is uh, a coming together of some of us old school IPv6 uh, nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ed Horley uh, led the California V6 Task Force and authored the book Windows IPv6 Administration for Um, A-Press. Tom Cofine out of Phoenix, uh, formerly with Infoblox and Limelight Networks, he authored the O'Reilly book, IPv6 Address Planning. I wrote a book on IPv6 security and been involved in the Rocky Mountain IPv6 task force. The three of us were involved in the Infoblox IPv6 Center of Excellence, Infoblox being a, a DNS DHCP IP address management platform used by many large enterprises. So we all had a common interest in IPv6 and then thought we'd form a company. Uh, our fourth musketeer is uh, Steve Rogers, Uh long-time sales operational uh, e- expert with a ton of uh, industry experience, uh, also based out of California. So we're kind of spread out. It's a small team right now, but uh, that's that's who we are. And that's the podcast that we do uh, called IPv6 Buzz. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> so on IPv4, so that's...
0: Mm-hmm. Is it possible that that protocol... That's a protocol, correct? Mm-hmm. I want to get the terms mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Could you run out of addresses for stuff on the internet. Is that mm-hmm. where this came from? Is that looks like with the explosion mm-hmm. of laptops mm-hmm. and routers and cell phones and mm-hmm. IOT that at some point on IPv4, it couldn't get on the internet? Is that the possibility?
1: Yeah, we there's a shortage of these public addresses, which are the non-unique uh, addresses that are used in the core of the internet. Okay. There has to be uniqueness of an address. Right. Two people can't have the same physical home address. They'd be getting their mail <laughs> for right. each other. Right. Same kind of thing. Two people can't have the same phone number. You know, there would be collisions and all kinds of things. So you need to have a unique address. And these addresses are very, are, you know, binary kind of addresses that aren't very humanly readable. We type in uh, www. You www.example.com know, into our web browser. That gets converted on the back end with domain name system. Into an address, and then the connection makes is made with these machine-readable addresses. We don't see those usually behind the scenes, uh, but that's what's that's what's happening. So with IPv4, we've had this shortage for decades. Hmm. So what we used is this network address translation, where we converted some of these private addresses to public addresses, and there was this this NAT function, network address translation. It occurs in our home broadband internet routers. It occurs at the internet perimeter for an enterprise between the private enterprise network and the public internet. So these NATs have been perpetuated and we go through many of these NATs oftentimes. And so it ends up creating an internet that has these local kind of pockets of uniqueness, but there's no end-to-end uniqueness of connections. And so every time you go through the a, a NAT function, it causes some uh, performance degradation. And so you would go through a NAT at your house. You might go through a NAT somewhere in the service provider network, you know, on your mobile device. There aren't enough addresses to give out to all the mobile devices, you know, unique uh, public V4 addresses. Uh, And then when you go into a cloud environment, on the other end, on the server side, you may go through proxies, load balancers, NAT functions, even NAT in your container infrastructure there could be NATs there. So you may go through several of these between the end user who's looking at the content and the server using IPv4. Now with IPv6, there's none of those. None of those translators exist in the connection path between the source and the destination, between the the sync and the source. And um, so it's native end-to-end using native addresses. The other thing this affords a business is if a business is doing analytics, of who comes Mm. to their website when the end user is tucked behind multiple levels of these translators the business doesn't really have a view of who that user is so they have to do things like cookies or other things or um or if a business is an online retail business they gather analytics maybe for the purposes of fraud detection and they want to crack down on you know, fraudulent credit cards, fraudulent purchases, things like that. Their ability to, to understand who's really making a connection to them is limited because they're looking at an address that's came from a translator, not the real and multiple levels of translator. With IPv6, you're really seeing you have a direct connection with your client. So you have direct uh, intimate customer connection there and you can do better analytics on those those ipv6 addresses there. So, that's maybe an advantage another advantage to a business that's online that's tracking and logging. <clears throat> and who doesn't track and log all the things right. these days? Everyone wants to yeah. log all the things and have better analytics and data of who's connecting to them and their in their customer engagement.
0: Well, as you were talking through the ipv4 and the nat and the all the different <clears throat> I don't know what any of that stuff does, but mm-hmm. I do know from an engineering perspective that if you're putting steps or things in place, the more of those that are there, the more that things can go wrong, the mm-hmm. more that there's a potential for things not working well. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the customer experience or the the employee experience or the business experience. <clears throat> simpler is always better. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the less layers of abstraction you can have, the less complexity. We do that in technology all too much. We add on another level, a layer, a veneer, that gives us something. We think it gives us improvements, or it layers on virtualization, or it's a underlayer, it's an overlayer, we're tunneling a protocol inside of another. We always do this, and we add these layers of abstraction, a hypervisor, now it's a cloud hypervisor, And but what we don't realize is the trade off that we've made with increased complexity and increased operational costs. So to manage a high complexity environment on premises, as uh, is like having a big albatross tied around your neck, you have a lot of technical debt. When you can divest yourself of some of the the management of the underlying infrastructure and those layers of abstraction to a public cloud infrastructure provider now you've gained you know some benefits and focused on your your core business focused on the application which is the key differentiator for your business and divested yourself of doting on all those underlying layers of abstraction that Mm -hmm. just eat up tons of unproductive time have sunk cost so I have kind
0: of a futurist question mm-hmm. for you, going back to, <clears throat> excuse me, like the the 10-digit phone numbers, uh-huh. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think it's possible in the future that an actual phone number won't exist? Because I haven't had a landline for, I don't know, 10 years, right? And uh-huh. I look at some of the apps on the mobile phone mm-hmm. that are, while well, like Facebook has the the cell phone number or your phone number for what they call security, right? A two factor
1: authentication. Thank you. Two factor authentication. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: But to everybody else, it's a Facebook friend or a LinkedIn connection. It's not a phone number. It's my name. So with mobile devices, I know it's kind of an abstract random question, but do you see in five, 10, 20 years or ever that maybe a phone number is not a thing anymore?
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah. I could see that kind of a future. We want to remove. So the addresses that are used on the internet are very much about topology and geography and, and uniqueness and the point of attachment of that thing to a network and where to find it to be able to communicate to it. But things are mobile. Things move around. A server could be in New York one moment, but if it fails, we want it to appear in San Francisco the next moment and not have the end user know any mm-hmm. different. So we want to remove geography from, and we want to remove topology and connectedness and geography from the service. And so we do that. We do that in the cloud. That's one of the things the cloud allows us to do, right? A server could be in two places at once, or we turn up one in New York and then immediately turn up another one in San Francisco and we only paid for one server (laughs) at a time Mm -hmm. rather than have two data centers, one running idle in San Francisco waiting for New York to fail, you know? we'd have to build all that infrastructure ourselves and and all that complexity. So we want to remove um yeah, just thinking very creatively here. Yeah, you want to remove the name from the number, the underlying, you know, details so you abstract that service and the name of that service through a URL through something else. We we do this because passwords are terrible. You, know, you have a username and password. It's only something you know and it's highly susceptible to error and people like simplicity, so they choose simple passwords. So we resort to other things like using two-factor authentication, your phone, or a hard token or something mm-hmm. like that. You see a <clears> token <throat> hanging out of a laptop or tied to someone's badge, You know, they have a token that gives them then it's something they have, You know, a CAC or a PIV card if you're in the government. You have another form of authentication. The other thing is, um, well, back to IPv4 versus IPv6, who goes to their bank and you go to it from a different computer or from work one day and the bank says, aha, I see this isn't the normal computer you use to come to the bank. You've used username and password. Let me ask you your three secret questions. It's because the bank is trying to look at your address or your IP address, your internet protocol address that you're using to come to the bank. They're grasping at straws to try and protect your bank account and so they've used address but they've used a v4 address that's behind an NAT that's Mm. not really your address so they're using an address that was only temporarily your address so but if you used ipv6 if the bank used ipv6 they would track you and they might know your address they might have some greater direct uh, information about who you are and where you're connecting from and stuff so um Yeah, so I think in the future we will use more names. It's gonna be easier for people. We wanna make it simpler. We abstract the service from the location and where things exist. The customer just cares about the service and we wanna give them the best end user experience. And so yeah, we wanna use names that are humanly readable. We wanna make uh, biometrics. We wanna just look at our phone and have it recognize our face. We wanna just recognize our phone number and and try to get away from usernames and passwords Mm -hmm. that are highly susceptible to error uh, have low sophistication easy to guess easy to hack tie it to a physical thing a multi-factor authentication tie it to an address of where you're really coming from to gain greater authenticity of who we're talking to on the internet that's yeah that's absolutely where we're going well, and you talk
0: about the passwords, <clears throat> excuse me, and that that drives me nuts because I got caught up in that Marriott breach and I got oh. the thing where it's like you're, no financial mm-hmm. data, but it's like, hey, your password and your email were compromised. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of I think an hour one day at work, I was sitting there going through and updating through <laughs> um, a yeah. – I do have a, a password manager on my mm-hmm. phone, mm-hmm. but what I notice are the discrepancies across – um, Chase and US Bank and Capital One and all this mm-hmm. where like some of them have the you can see your password right mm-hmm. and you'll type it in and some of them are just like you can't see it and it doesn't match and I'm like mm-hmm. well what number did I <laughs> did I type <laughs> yeah. wrong right yeah. and so it was one of the most frustrating things mm-hmm. I'd experienced because all I'm trying to do is just type in two words that match and then mm-hmm. they're all formatted differently. One has to have the uppercase mm-hmm. and the symbol and the yeah. letter and it has to be this, has to be this, has to be that. And I'm, and I'm smart enough to know that like, I don't want to do the same password for all of my finance, yeah. so all my login yeah. data. But um, actually somebody we worked with before, mm-hmm. like, uh, Hunter was telling me, mm-hmm. he's like, I put in like, um, like a song lyric so like words and spaces and things like that. Mm-hmm. I was like great you know and so there's one that was like kind of i do this
1: three random words or something yeah you know, and that spaces kind of go together that yeah then maybe you can remember right. as a human yeah so like a yeah. picture well some sites accepted that mm-hmm. some are like all right well we need a symbol and a number and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah passwords are tough so whatever we can do to make Make things easier for people, have multiple factors rather than just rely on username and password. and businesses are striving to help you know protect the privacy of of their you know customers and subscribers. And so, yeah, you'll see these things you know being more used. yeah, I'm all for simple and making better end user experience and make it just all be transparent behind the scenes.
0: So I want to talk you up a little bit. So I don't know if you can disclose one of your clients, but they're ones that launch rockets into space. And oh, so, yeah, <laughs> so yeah I you, thought that was uh, pretty cool when uh, a couple
1: months ago you were out doing that. So yeah. what were you doing for those guys? Uh, yeah, uh, I've done a variety of work for NASA okay. and this is the week for NASA. This is the 50th anniversary of Apollo oh, amazing. Uh, launch and it's just such a such a cool uh, company or cool organization not a company cool organization to be a part of and be supporting them uh, yeah NASA has been on the forefront of IP version 6 adoption and they use it on a lot of their public facing systems if you go to nasa.gov if you if you use the NASA app that is one of the coolest apps really? I don't have a lot of junk apps on my phone it's usually all, all, right, all right business but you just go to the NASA app on your phone download it it's free tons of just super cool pictures of all the missions and things and science it's good for kids it's good for adults i mean it i could just spend hours like surfing through that app but yeah so i was i've taught a variety of ipv6 classes for them at different nasa centers around the country and so it's been a privilege for me to share with them and, and teach them some about this new protocol hopefully enable some missions and some future projects they have going on you know in the in the name of science and uh, global cooperation uh, between countries. So very cool. So speaking of
0: NASA, another random question, two random questions. Would you go to the moon and would you go to
1: Mars? Ooh, uh, I would not either. No, Uh, really? No, someone else could do that. Someone who's probably more adventurous and uh, I would totally want to see people do both. I think there's a lot, you know us as a society gain from you know the scientific research so i'm all for for someone else going but i'm uh, maybe past past that point in my life. But, yeah i was there a point when you would have yeah maybe okay. when i was younger yeah maybe right. yeah after having uh you know a family you know you, yeah i like i like it here i like it here in colorado <laughs> 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 i did jump out of an airplane once and while that was great, uh, I I don't know if I'd do it again. It was very very risky. <laughs> yeah. I'm in IT. I like less risk, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, but cycling has has its risks too. <laughs> it's funny when we ride up a Lookout Mountain is a typical uh, bike ride here in the Colorado Front Range, and it's a, it's an interesting place because it's a good hill. It's about you know four miles, about fifteen hundred feet of elevation gain. Uh, so it's good yeah. for cyclists. A lot of cyclists. Cars like to go up there, but then you'll have skateboarders coming down at high speed. I've seen them with helmets on. Well, now they wear helmets. They used to not wear helmets. The cyclists are looking at the at the skateboarders, going, "You're crazy." And then you got paragliders up above you and looking down at the cyclists going, you guys are crazy. Cyclists look up at the paragliders going, you guys are crazy. Like everybody thinks everybody's crazy. <laughs> look up <out> mountain. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> everybody's doing their thing, you know, uh, different levels of <laughs> risk. How do you approach Would you risk? go up in the, would you go to Mars or would you go to the moon if you had a chance? Um, I wouldn't do Mars.
0: Two years. I mean, well, I'd have to see what the spacecraft would look like. And you
1: have a family.
0: You have a lot to live for. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I don't think I could handle the confinement. I'm mm. not claustrophobic, but mm. um, to not see like a sunset or nature or fresh mm. air, like I don't know. And, and and I'm I'm projecting here that it would just be current state, Matt just being strapped into a rocket tomorrow. Right. I'm sure that there would be significant training and all that, but, um, two days to the moon in, you know, basically like this, um, leather chair here, you know, it was hard enough for me to get my ass to Belgium last year on a, on a, on a Dreamliner. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lo- I would go into space. I think if it was like, you know, an afternoon, I'd love to see the curvature of the earth oh, or, cool. you know, experience mm-hmm. weightlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. it would be a coin flip on the moon, but Mars mm-hmm. definitely not.
1: Yeah. They were doing a thing. Um, uh, you know, they were doing a lot of television episodes about Apollo 50 year anniversary. They had, uh, shown a newspaper clipping after, uh, You know, those astronauts had seen Earth rise, Mm -hmm. had seen the Earth rise from the moon. And the Flat Earth Society had said at that point, you know, oh, wow. In 1968, we really need to rethink uh, our whole, you know, thing here. And it's funny that in 2019, we still have people (laughs) who think the Earth is flat. (laughs) We had a Flat Earth uh, Society conference here in Boulder this year. And the newspaper headline was people from around the globe come to Boulder for Flat Earth Society, meeting. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, there's
0: two words in that headline that are by (laughs) their very definition, not flat. (laughs) I try to be open-minded and, you know, no deal breakers for anything, but I would have to say that if, you know, you're a flat earther, a Nazi or the clan like that's our discussions <laughs> over. I don't care if you're donating millions to charities mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's just some fundamental differences that mm-hmm. I just couldn't get past. And like yeah. the flat earth is. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yesterday mm-hmm. uh, my, my son and a friend and I, we hiked a 14 mm-hmm. in Colorado, very Colorado thing to do. And I got to the top and it's not flat. It's rugged and bumpy, and there's a lot of stuff going on when you get to 14,000 feet. I mean, in Colorado, nothing's flat. Right. Right. <laughs> I want to go back to a question
0: before our moon discussion. You talked about risk, right? Uh-huh. And how do you process that in your your business and your, mm-hmm. your day-to-day
1: life? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you hit on it, you know, keeping things simple, uh, having repeatability. I think, you know, in, in your business, you know, that when you help a customer deploy, you know, uh, cloud infrastructure, you want to start out the first time, do it right. The first Mm -hmm. time you want to deploy that infrastructure with, with scripts, you want it to be, be repeatable. So, and you want it to have all the right things in it right from the start. Uh, you want it to uh, to have all the security, all the guardrails, all the all the you know economic and cost controls right from the beginning. And as they move from you know development phase through to testing, QA into production, you want them to all look the same. So you mitigate risk by having repeatability uh, and always you know and maybe doing the, the same thing mm-hmm. all the time um, or planning it out well in advance. You just don't hike a 14er on a whim, you got, to got plan it. You don't go on a bike ride on a whim. You're like, oh, do I have my pump? Do I have a spare tube? Do I have, you know, yeah. a light and a reflector? You know, do I have a helmet? You know, you, you plan. And so, uh, that, that preparation, that planning pays dividends for sure. You know, whether you're, uh, getting outdoors or deploying public cloud infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. So you want it, uh, yeah. And you know, if you're deploying that public cloud infrastructure, you want to you know set it up right from the beginning with all those best practices, and and turn it on with IPv4 and IPv6 right in the development stage. And so it's no drama when it moves into test and into production. And so there's a lot of repeatability and a lot of you leverage your best practices throughout your whole uh, life cycle of deploying an application or a service.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and I've had to learn that the hard way that. Um, some organization and planning you're going to pay the penalty at at one end mm-hmm. or the other right yeah. and yeah. it's going to be either putting out fires on the back end without planning or mm-hmm. it's going to be the the tedious and and from me from my perspective the tediousness and the the planning and the mm-hmm. at the front end and thinking about those contingencies and not winging it mm-hmm. taking the extra time and mm-hmm. like you know a month in the front of something could pay off dividends
1: down the road yeah. you know and so sometimes it's helpful to have an expert help you with these things, whether you get on your favorite search engine and look, you know, top yeah. 10 things to bring when you're hiking a 14er right. or best things to take on a bike ride or asking for some professional services, you know, guidance, um, uh, uh, to get the, you know, to get set up and off on the right track. I think sometimes that pays dividends. We know yeah. what a good bike fit does for you. Oh, you don't totally. buy a bike and just go out. You just don't go buy any old pair of shoes you want to have a gait analysis you want to go to your local running store and get some real good advice so so you start off enjoying it right from the start Mm -hmm. you know Um, i made that mistake years ago just thought oh what what's there to running you just put on some shoes and go but (laughs) my form was terrible i got injured i ran into all kinds of problems and didn't like it as much when i got some expert advice to coach me on how to run which is weird, like, because doesn't everyone just naturally as kids know how to run right from the beginning? Yeah, but somewhere along the line, we get a little taller and we're <laughs> really tall in your case. Matt, <laughs> and then we forget how, how to do these things. So having some advice uh, and then starting off on the right path makes it more enjoyable. You know, getting a bike fit is absolutely. like I tell people, I said, you're going to buy a bicycle There's two most important things, color and fit. Yeah, You got to like the way it looks. You got to like the way you you think you look on it. And it's got to fit you right. It's got to be comfortable. You're going to do it more. Success breeds success. You know, you don't want to have a failed cloud deployment because you failed to do it right. Oh, we went into the cloud. We lifted and shifted. We didn't have the security uh, controls in place. Now we have a problem. Now it's a bunch of extra work. Next application comes along and the CIO is like, I'm not deploying that in the cloud cloud stinks, you know? So you, you know, it could, you started off on a bad foot. Yeah. You know, but if you had success right from the start, oh yeah, we're going all in in cloud. We have a cloud first strategy. We're having success. We're seeing cost savings. We're seeing performance gains. We're seeing availability. We're seeing reduced complexity, repeatability. Yeah. You know, if you started off on the right path, you'd be all in on cloud. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do it right. Plan it out. hmm well,
0: Scott, this has been great. I know we're up against our time limit, mm-hmm. and two things: I want to do a second, more technical episode so I can get more educated Uh-oh. and understand this. <laughs> okay, and before <laughs> you said it, okay, yeah. <laughs> and before the the summer's over, let's let's go for another ride.
1: Ah, oh, I'd love that. That would be so cool.
0: Cool. So I know uh, IPv6 Buzz is your podcast, um, Hexa Build, and where else can people find you to get more information and that professional help you're talking about
1: hexabuild.io is our uh, I'll add links to all this stuff too Um, yeah I'm at Scott Hogue uh, S-C-O-T-T-H-O-G-G on Twitter Uh, I do write for networkworld.com and I write for infoblox.com the IPv6 center of excellence uh, community there Uh, so those are places you'll find
0: me awesome (laughs) great to see you again thanks for the donation and thanks for the time
1: thank you so much Awesome!
0: this is fun